Uh, his overall skill set is sickening. I mean, it really is. He's double jointed. I mean, he can throw the ball from any platform possible, running to his left, fading backwards. He can get out of trouble. Um, and I, I compliment everybody. I've been accused of that. But this guy has, uh, I mean, he's got off the, off the chart arm talent. Skill level is unbelievable. And he's got a playing style um, that reminds me of Favre. I mean, he's, he's a young Favre. That's why I think Andy Reid went and got him. He, he won't quit on any plays. He makes a lot of plays when there's nothing there. And uh, I don't have time to talk about him anymore. <laughs> What's up, Raider fans? It's time for another episode of Vegas Nation. I'm your host, Heidi Fang, joined today with Raiders beat writer Michael Gelkin, who's live in Oakland, as always, bringing you all the information you need about the team to ReviewJournal.com and as well as in print with the Las Vegas Review Journal. Michael, how are you doing today? And now that the Raiders are coming back from Baltimore off this to kind of a really awful <laughs> performance in Baltimore 34-17 they lost to the team what is the team like right now preparing to face one of the most prolific offenses in the NFL well I'm doing well first of all thank you Heidi how are you very good thank you for asking <laughs> good well it's a very I mean I suppose status quo type of week to some degree where the Raiders are coming off of a loss even though that a week before they were able to snap their five-game losing streak against the Arizona Cardinals they're coming off a loss. It went a bit as expected in regard to facing a rookie quarterback, Lamar Jackson, who had difficulty beating them consistently with his arm. But in the second half, the game plan just totally changed for the Baltimore Ravens. They made an adjustment, and 33 of the 40 plays in the second half were all rushes. And the Raiders uh, definitely struggled to contain that attack in the first two drives of the third quarter, they both drives culminated in long touchdown drives, consuming plenty of clock. And uh, really the Raiders uh, were struggling from that point. And then three straight sacks allowed by Brandon Parker, the rookie right tackle, including the first one, which resulted in a, a fumble that Terrell Suggs returned for a touchdown. Uh, that game is, is kind of in the past. This is a unique test uh, in its own right, because, uh, while they don't have Lamar Jackson, and there's not a quarterback with that level of that athleticism, the Chiefs, in terms of Patrick Mahomes and Tyreek Hill at wide receiver, Kareem Hunt at running back, and I should say Hill, he's as dangerous as a return man as he is as a wide receiver. And he's coming off of a game where he had 10 catches, 215 yards, and two touchdowns. And so uh, this week is it's a little different uh, just because of the opponent, but it's also... Uh, you know, with the season that's been, it doesn't really feel too different at the same time, if, if that makes sense. Guys understand they need to be professionals and finish out the year just as they knew that last week. Yeah, it totally does make sense. And like you said, Mahomes does it all. He's really been somebody who's been fun to watch in his kind of, you know, first season here. We didn't really get to see him when he was behind Alex Smith in the first year. So watching him this year it, it's been something truly amazing. I think a lot of people knew how good he was going to be, the power in his arm. But now that you get to see it all come together, 
especially with, like you mentioned, the weapons that he has. Uh, it's <laughs> going to be an interesting way for the Raiders to have to close the season as they face the Kansas City Chiefs twice in a four-week span. So they got uh, Travis Kelsey, they got Tyreek Hill, like you said, and, and I, I got to admit I have him on – I think every fantasy team I have, and he's taken me to the promised land. So <laughs> that's uh, kind of been fun to watch his uh, development as well, especially with the connection and chemistry that he has with Patrick Mahomes. But uh, it was interesting hearing Gruden uh, speak about Mahomes because he's a former Green Bay guy, and there's some history here between the coaches with Andy Reid and John Gruden, both having ties to the Packers. And uh, John Gruden saying that Mahomes reminds him of Brett Favre. What did you think of that uh, that that comparison? Certainly high praise, and John Gruden he, he laughed because he is somebody who, over the course of his ESPN broadcasting career had a reputation for being a bit too, you know, complimentary of certain players. It seemed like every week he was talking on air about why this player is amazing or that player is amazing. And, uh, you know, he's just speaking the world about guys. That said, it was different in terms of just how effusive the praise was Wednesday from Gruden talking about, Patrick Mahomes. You mentioned the, the Brett Favre comparison. He talked about how he can throw off at really any platform. You, you know, you move the pocket if you're doing an effective job as a pass rushing unit, but he's so capable of being able to hit guys in stride. I mean, his arm talent is unbelievable. And so it is a formidable matchup. Uh, you've, we've here. Gruden praise guys. I mean, shoot, we've heard him praise his own quarterback. We haven't heard Gruden praise anybody since he became the Raiders head coach, <laughs> the way he praised Patrick Mahomes. And so I think that is a testament to what he feels about him. Um, Gruden knew that when he took this job. Uh, he would have taken the Chiefs roster over the Raiders roster. He would have taken the Chargers roster over the Raiders roster. And I'm not sure how he felt about the Denver Broncos roster, but there's a chance he might have taken it as well. I don't know. I don't know that part because I know Derek Carr did track him and Khalil Mack and, and that sort of thing. But it's it's you know, this is where the Raiders find themselves, this is where Gruden finds himself, and, and they are heavy underdogs, 15-point underdogs, which is very rare for this franchise at home. Do you have any idea, like as far as the numbers go, what the biggest spread has been for Raiders as a home team uh, as far as being an underdog? Well, I know the greatest spread for them at home in a game that they won was in 2009. It was against the Philadelphia Eagles, who just so happened to be coached by Andy Reid. Uh, the, Raiders, <laughs> yeah, the Raiders were coming in. They were 1-4. They were coached by Tom Cable, who's today their offensive line coach. And they were coming off of a 44-7 and road loss to the New York Giants. Meanwhile, the Eagles were 3-1. and They were averaging around 32 points per game. And again, they were head coached by Reed. The game was played in Oakland uh, at the same Coliseum. And the Raiders, courtesy of an 86-yard touchdown, I looked it up this week, from Jamarcus Russell oh, wow. uh, to tight end Zach Miller, 86-yard touchdown. It was the only touchdown in the game, 13-9. So uh, that stands today as the greatest home upset on record 
according to Pro Football Reference. Those records go back uh, to 1978. Um, certainly modern Raiders history. I even reached out to the team historian just to find out you know, what you would consider to be the greatest upset in Raiders history and um, you know, great race home upset in Raiders history. And it sounds like that's the one. So, uh, you know, not to say we all understand they're 50 point underdogs for a reason. Let's not lose our, our heads or, you know, it, it all get it misconstrued. But um, the Raiders have a chance on Sunday to do something pretty special. And I think should they find a way to outduel Patrick Mahomes and uh, find a way to outscore the Chiefs, um, I don't know if there would be somebody more surprised than Gruden, given all the respect that he has for Andy Reid, coming off of a bye week, no less, um, and the personnel that he has. These guys, in a number of respects, certainly on offense and special teams, they're loaded. Right, and you even look at their defense. You bring up the offense, the Kansas City offense right now, averaging 318 yards per game, and right now also scoring the most second most in points on the season in the NFL. Only the Saints have scored more. Right now, the uh, Chiefs scored 406 points total for the season. And the Raiders, 187. So there's just a little bit of comparison in total points scored <laughs> that you can look. I, I checked that out on NFL.com today to find out the actual stats and some numbers here. So uh, that's something. And Kansas City also right now, Owning the record for the most touchdowns in the season with 51, the Raiders have 19. So I, I would say that that uh, was at 14 and a half, 15 points. The, it's very feasible for the Chiefs to achieve that if you're a betting person. Um, I often don't bet on double-digit spreads, but I think that just when you look at the comparisons and what they've been able to accomplish, it's very reasonable of a number to put out there. But Yeah. Yeah. And on the bright side, if you're the Raiders defense, you're probably not facing Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill and Kareem Hunt. You're probably not facing those guys again this season. You, know, you did mention that they are on the schedule. Week 17, December 30th, the final game of the year. Uh, technically, the, Ra the Raiders have the Chiefs on the schedule two times in five weeks. But when you really look at where the Chiefs are in their season at 9-2 and two and project where they could be in week 17 for that game, there's a decent chance that Andy Reid, and this is not unlike him, he's done this in the past, where he'll just sit guys. He'll sit his quarterback, mm -hmm. he'll sit his star running back, he'll sit his tight end, his top wide receivers. Uh, I think uh, even though the Raiders and, and Chiefs um, are, are slated to play each other twice over the next month, I, I don't think we're going to see it. So um, that's just that's something to keep in mind, I suppose, going into this game is, uh, yeah, the, the Raiders are really going to have to uh, to keep this high octane offense in check, but chances are they'll only have to do so with all the pieces on the field just this one time. Well, interestingly enough, last week, and the, I believe the week before that, the media was held out of the Raiders practice session. And today, I believe you had tweeted also that the media was not permitted to watch as they went through this practice or walk through. Um, what's going on with these tactics? What do you know about why that is the, the continued practice right now with the team? It's a great question for John Gruden. I wanted to ask him it today. Unfortunately, you know, on a normal Sunday game schedule, Gruden will speak on that Sunday. He'll speak on a Monday. He'll speak on a Wednesday. He'll speak on a Friday. A Thursday is not one of those days, and so uh, I wasn't able to speak. You know, we were recording this on a Thursday. I wasn't able to speak to him on Thursday, but I was able to ask 
Greg Olson, the team's offensive coordinator. And the explanation that he gave me is that they find that they actually really like these indoor walkthroughs. And as you know, they were forced to cancel outdoor practices, two of them, uh, in November because the air quality was so poor. It was technically very unhealthy, uh, quote unquote, uh, according to the EPA, uh, because of campfire, the deadliest wildfire in California history. And so in response to the adverse air quality, the Raiders took team buses, followed a police escort, and went to an indoor offsite facility on the Thursday and Friday before a Sunday game against the Cardinals. They just so happened to, again to win that game. And so we've seen it now. We saw it the following Wednesday uh, going into a, a Sunday game against the Ravens. Uh, on that Wednesday, the Raiders didn't practice outdoors. And then again on Thursday, uh, no outdoor practice. We learned on Thursday morning that the team was moving indoors. Now, there was some rain in the air, but it is football, and football can be played in the rain. So that in itself isn't an, ex- an explanation. But Olsen talked about, while mentioning the rain as being something that was on their mind, they felt they got a lot of really good work in outdoors on Wednesday, and it helps keep their players fresh. It decreases the chance of injury, of course, in a walkthrough setting. And they just feel like ultimately they, over the course of a week, they can get their work done. It's interesting, Heidi, in that you remember back when Gruden was hired, mm-hmm. there was a lot of talk about how he was going to acclimate to the changed landscape of the NFL in that the 2011 collective bargain agreement really stipulates when coaches can practice with players and more importantly, when they cannot practice with players. You only get so much time with these guys. Coaches lament that it's not enough time over the course of the offseason and all this. And it was expected that Gruden was just going to get as much as he could out of all these sessions, whatever the CBA allowed he would do. Well, the CBA allows him to have three practices outdoors with his guys, and he's chosen to lighten it up now for two straight weeks on his own accord. And so it's interesting. I plan on asking him about it on Friday, but given that Olsen is on the staff and in meetings and is very familiar with Gruden's thinking, uh, that is the overall sense is they feel they get a lot of work done and still not risk their players to injury. That does make a ton of sense, especially given that they did come off and, and score a win the first time that they did use this strategy. So maybe they're going with that Swiss and the best teams, the team's best mindset and what helps them mentally prepare, not just on a physical level, but mentally get ready for the task ahead of them. So I, I think if it's good for the team camaraderie, why not keep going with it? Uh, but Michael, again, you are always there on scene with what's happening in the locker room, with what's happening on the field. And this week, the NFL is going to run their My Cause, My Cleats campaign. And what it does is it gives the players an opportunity to bring awareness to a cause that is close to their heart. And you were able, actually, to speak with one player in particular, that would be the running back DeAndre Washington, who uh, lost his sister in a very unfortunate accident. And what can you tell us about the, the cause that he plans to represent and what exactly he had to tell you about what the the process has been for him this season. He's gone through a lot, a lot of awful things and just tragedy and then mishaps. Um, what can you tell us about DeAndre Washington and his cause? 
yeah, it was just an unspeakably horrible tragedy. And DeAndre feels it's the type of tragedy that's happening too often in this country, which is which is the point. But um, his sister, uh, Taisha Watkins, she, she was 27. She's a mother of a five-year-old daughter. She and some friends go to New Orleans and they have a girls' weekend. They're out. They're in a public space. Uh, they're standing outside in kind of like a, a small shopping type mall. And suddenly two men chase a third man who runs into a crowd. And these two men fire weapons, uh, fire guns uh, at into the crowd. And she was, uh, Taisha Watkins was among those who, who were shot incidentally. Um, she was one of three who were killed. Uh, ultimately, seven others uh, were injured as well. Um, the man believed to be the target of the assailants. He was one of the other two who were killed. And Washington, DeAndre Washington, got a phone call the next day informing him that his sister was dead. And it's a horrible tragedy. Um, you'll see him with cleats. Uh, one of them is a sky blue or white angel wings and Taisha's nickname, Tai Tai, T-A-I, T-A-I, in white letters on the sky. Um, he'll be wearing those. And, and DeAndre, he, you know, we'll, we'll let him, him speak for himself, but uh, the relationship that he had with his sister was, incredi- was incredibly special and it still is incredibly special because, as he describes, they remain in touch today despite her having passed. Uh, so I did uh, gun violence prevention, man. So, uh, you know, earlier this year, I lost my sister to gun violence. So, you know, it was a, a way for me to honor her. And, uh, and just bring bring awareness anywhere I can to, you know, for, for gun violence. It's definitely a lot of emotions, man, just because, you know, I mean, I want to play for her. I want to make her happy, uh, make her proud. And I know, you know she's with me. She's always smiling down. She's always had a big personality. So uh, it definitely brings, you know, a lot more, a little more, a little more emotion for each game and each week. Going into the game just because she was one of my biggest fans, so it was uh, definitely a lot more emotion. How was how's your family holding up? Yeah, they, they good, man. You know, you know, had had their days, but you know, end of the day, though, we, we know she's watching over us, and uh, you know, she's in a better place, and uh, you know, we're gonna take care of you know everything else. Uh, her, her family, she yeah, she had a daughter, so you know, she's in good hands. Uh, you know, I, I got I have you know some things, some small things that I keep around me just to you know keep her presence around me, but. You know, she's, I could just feel it, you know, before every game, you know, I have a conversation with her and, you know, we have our way of communicating. So she, she's definitely always with me. I can feel that spirit, you know, at all times. So it's a pretty crazy thing because I had never lost somebody that close to me, but I definitely could still feel it around me. And again, that was DeAndre Washington detailing what had happened to his sister, Taisha, and why his cause and his cleats this week when they face the Kansas City Chiefs will be to honor her memory. I really hope he does get some more carries and scores a touchdown. I think that that would be a, a nice way for him to be able to to take in everything and to just kind of have a moment and really feel like his sister's there. Cause like he said, and like you mentioned, you know, they had this relationship where they would talk every, every game and they had talked a lot about football. And I, I would just like to see him. He, we haven't got, been able to see a whole bunch of him on the field. Again, he returned from that orthoscopic knee surgery and, uh, 
that he went underwent that in mid-August. So he wasn't able to start the season, I don't think, in any way that he had wanted to. And it, I think, would be a good way to for him to really have everything come together in a moment if he were be able to score a big yeah. touchdown. Yeah, what, what a moment it would be, how special it would be. And if he scores, you know, he, he knows what he's going to do. He's going he's gonna to point up to the sky. He's going to point up to, you know, his sister. And it's just um, – it would be special. And there's been, there's been moments, you know, you know, in, in, a, in a season as disappointing as this and as frustrating for fans and for coaches and for players, uh, for the organization as a, as a whole, you know, it's been a, it's been a frustrating season, a difficult season, but there are moments that can rally people or just inspire people or just be special type of moments uh, for all involved. And, you know, DeAndre finding the end zone on Sunday or at any point this season, uh, he's yet to score. But if, if he gets that moment um, to do that, uh, I think that would um, certainly knowing now that the background, uh, this is the first time publicly that DeAndre has spoken about his sister's passing. He missed a portion of training camp uh, for personal reasons and the knee injury happened. He had to get it scoped. And so there was a lot going on, um, but he didn't discuss the former. He didn't discuss uh, why he missed camp for personal reasons. Um, so if he was to score, um, you know, I think it would be a, a pretty inspiring moment and a testament to his, you know, just every his journey that he's pushed through it and done something, not for him, but for his sister. And some of the other Raiders, you can look out for their cleats, like uh, Jared Cook, Shalit Calhoun. They're going to be out there with breast cancer-inspired cleats to bring awareness to those causes. Eric Harris had mentioned that uh, he had a sister had who had leukemia, but luckily she's in remission now. So he's going to have cleats. Everybody will have different cleats that will represent a cause close to their heart. So it'd be something to look for on the field. And Michael, you also had mentioned earlier on um, about campfire and how it's been, you know, it's really just been looming over everything in Northern California. Um, I, I don't think that any Northern Californian has been able to really in the past month go anywhere without having thought about it in some way, shape or form. And the Raiders announced this week that the team actually donated to the wildfire relief over um, $250,000, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I had seen out on Twitter as well. Uh, that there were Raiders that also put up their own money. Uh, how much did the whole, the team raise as a whole, Michael? And what has this meant to the community that that they've been able to do this type of donation to help with the relief? Yes, you're correct. It was two hundred thousand dollars in a cash donation from the Raiders organization. You know, owner Mark Davis. He went to college and is alumnus of UC, of, uh, of Chico State, which is very close to where the fires were, were based. And so, um, you know, it's been close to him. You know, Paradise was a town that he said he'd frequented a couple times a month, and it's gone now. You know, just the whole town, uh, by and large, has, has been destroyed. And so the outreach started there with the $200,000 donation. Donation. There's also uh, $50,000 in supplies that went to families who were affected. And then players felt like they wanted to do more. And so uh, this week you had players donate a sum of $46,350 that the players donated. The team then matched it. So an additional $92,700 uh, 
onto the 250. So, uh, uh, you know, very clear uh, it was important to the Raiders organization, not just from the top, but, you know, on down to the, to the locker room to do something in the wake of the deadliest wildfire in, in California history. And so, um, you know, money uh, can't heal everything that just happened in, you know, 130, 140 miles northeast of team headquarters. It, it can't heal you know, the, you know, all the wounds, you know, the, 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 you know, it's not going to rebuild all the homes and, 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 you know, so many loved ones, so many families that have just been, it's just an awful, awful, horrible thing. Uh, but um, they, they wanted to at least uh, do something to hopefully lift uh, part of that burden off of those affected. And uh, with, with these donations, um, it would seem to be sure that they have. I'm really glad that the organization has come together in that way, especially for the community. And like you mentioned, with the ties, obviously, that they have to that area of paradise. Uh, I actually had, you know, family that not anymore, they don't live there anymore, but in the past had had a home in paradise. So it's something to me that it was like, wow, I never even got to see that city when the house that my family had was there. It's just it's gone now. There's no way to ever look back. But uh, hopefully, like you said, maybe that money, although it can't replace what was lost, maybe it can help to begin to rebuild and bring some comfort to those who need it the most. You know, maybe it gets somebody a a blanket, maybe it brings somebody a meal that they weren't going to be able to have or I just hope that it helped and obviously it'll help in some way. So great things that the organization does. But as we look ahead here into week 13 of the NFL season. Again, they are taking on the Kansas City Chiefs in a divisional game that uh, it's going to be a rough one, I think, here. Obviously, the keys to the game for the Raiders would be to keep Mahomes in check. Hard to do when you've <laughs> only got, you know, a, a rush to the quarterback uh, 10 times. They've only got sacks. 10 sacks on the season, the Raiders. So that's pressure, really not something that's been there for the team. Uh, when you look at the the passing defense, they're not horrendous. I mean, last week they had, you know, Reggie Nelson had a pick. Marcus Gilchrist came in and, and got a pick. So there, there's been some sparks, <laughs> you could say. But uh, it, yeah. it hasn't Maybe been. Should... Yeah, I think it's generous. <laughs> <laughs> I mean. They were, I mean, don't get me wrong. There were some great tip drill type of plays, you know, with with guys like, including Gary on Conley when he was just shadowing Michael Crabtree downfield and he pops it up, showing great awareness, great body control, and Gilchrist catches it. There were some pauses, but I, I would think it's more about facing a rookie quarterback, Lamar Jackson, who was just really inconsistent. Those two interceptions happened in the first half, and then in the second half when they were tucking and running and going with this RPO type of offense. Uh, there were no turnovers, and so um, it's it's going to be a problem. Uh, it still is a problem, um, but it, it's going to be a problem trying to force takeaways on on Sunday. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. But, oh, it's, uh, a, it's fine. It's absolutely yeah. fine. <laughs> you know, it's like you said. Uh, maybe I am being a little generous, but like you said, the uh, has not been an interception thrown by the Raiders. Uh, Derek Carr specifically, and if he can keep that, it'd be his seventh consecutive game without having thrown an interception. So that would extend to be the longest streak of his career and would tie the franchise record set by Rich Gannon. So uh, maybe that's a, a positive for the team. Like, you know, a lot of people have been hard on Carr, but I don't think that, you know, the way that he's played, obviously, since, I don't know, the last seven 
games, obviously. He hasn't thrown a pick. So that's really difficult a uh, thing to accomplish. So I think that Carr has done well with what he's been able to work with. And mind you, how many times he's hit the ground. So it's uh, been a little rough with him. I and mean, he's been hit 64 times and there's been 36 sacks allowed. So when you take that all into consideration, I, I think that Derek Carr has done well considering but uh, Michael if you have to look at it right now what will be your pick for this Sunday's game in Oakland the Raiders taking on the Chiefs what a story would be if the Raiders were to win we always root for stories Heidi in our <laughs> business and so what what a story it would be I mean it would be a signature win it would be just incredible it would be historic you know, the greatest home upset in franchise history of note that we know of, um, dating back to 1978. Uh, but if you're asking for my prediction, I mean, I probably wouldn't bat an eye at somebody who wanted to take the Chiefs at 15 points. Um, this is, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see how the Raiders can keep up. But um, it's, it's, it, the Chiefs are legitimate and they're a problem. And they just, coming off of a pinball game against the LA Rams put up more than 50 points somehow in a loss and now coming off a bye week they're fresh and none of this adds up into a Raiders win so uh, I'm going to go ahead and and say the Chiefs are going to win this game shocker and (laughs) I will say it'll be uh 34 to boy you know I was about to give them the spread I was about to give the Raiders but I got to think about that 34 to 17. All right. And that that does keep the spread intact. So I'm going to bump that score just a little bit more. I'm going to go again, like you said. I I don't think I even need to really detail why. (laughs) I think uh, it's uh, educated guests to go ahead and pick the Chiefs to win this game. And I'm going to go with the score of 45 to 16. I'm going to have this complete blowout. Yeah. And we'll see. We'll see if they keep um, making the score uh, go up and up and up and up. Gouging, if you will. Uh, So there you have our picks. That'll be our picks for this contest against the Kansas City Chiefs taking place in Oakland this Sunday. And that'll do it for our Vegas Nation podcast this week. Again, you can give Michael Gelkin a follow at Gelkin NFL on Twitter. I am at Heidi Fang on Twitter. And for all of our episodes, you can head on over to iTunes and subscribe. We will be back next week with all that happened at this Raider game and more here on Vegas Nation.